And if you have your Bibles, won't you please turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It's my great privilege uh, to wrap up this three-part series that we uh, have called, How About Some Good News for a Change? And uh, we started off two weeks ago, I had the privilege of preaching on the topic of a good purpose, and we looked at how in a world where so much seems to be going wrong, can we believe that there's a God who's good and working for a good purpose? And we said, we looked at the life of Joseph, we said, was, if there ever was a person who had some tough stuff thrown at him, he could say at the end of his life, what you meant for evil in my life, God meant for good. Isn't that incredible? Can I say to you, if, if you are willing to follow this amazing God of the Bible, shown to the world through Jesus Christ, His Son, you'll say at the end of your life, what you meant for evil, God meant for my ultimate good. The second is this, is Joe preached a while, didn't he preach well, last week on a good God, and we saw the characteristic of this God of the Bible in this wonderful story called the prodigal son. And how we see this God is so personal. Don't you think it's amazing how this father looks upon um, out on his stoop every day to look for this coming back of his son. And when he sees this son, he runs. And I want to say to you, this God of the Bible, he's the most amazing God you'll ever meet. Because he knows you. He made you. He even uh, made the number of hairs on your head. And so we looked at how God is just so personal and so merciful. And today I'm going to be preaching on this topic of a good life. In a time when everything that the world seems to be putting its confidence in is being shaken, what really determines a good life? Our heart for you is at the end of your life, you can look back and say, that was good. Hey, how many of you want that in your life? Or you can look back and go, man, that was a good life. I really want that. And... Uh, we want to look at today what really matters. What, what's going to help us at the end of our lives look back and say, wow, that was good. I've run the race. I've finished my course. Well, my friends, today it is the best time ever to be asking these questions because if you look around the world, and even here in East London, man, our wealth is being shaken. Isn't it a time of just such global economic uncertainty? I was reading every day. There's different reports in the paper. of What is the future going to look like for mankind in terms of the economy? What about our security? Uh, globally, crime and corruption and these international tensions growing. What about our future? I was thinking about who of you have, have young kids or maybe kids moving into the working world. I've got very young kids there. And I often wonder, what is the future of Sarah and Elijah going to look like? You look at our environment. You look at, man, are they going to be able to see a rhino? Will they ever be able to see some of these species that we got to enjoy as young guys? What are our kids going to grow up in? What is the future going to look like? And I want to say to you today, if, if increasingly, increasingly in our world, there's a few places left to run to, not so? Even little old New Zealand, I was thinking about, has this mass shooting, and who knows what's going to be happening next and I want to say to you, if you're a thinking person in this world, I'm sure you're asking big questions. That's, that's the right thing to do. It's to ask, where's this all going? Don't you feel a little bit out of control about what the future is going to look like? And these big questions around where is this world going to? And as Christians, if you believe in the first week's sermon that God is at work in the world, we should be asking ourselves, what is God doing? Because he's at work, right? So I hope you believe that. 
that in everything God is working. And so what is he saying? And that's the question we need to be asking. And I want to put uh, Jesus' case forward today. That if you're wanting to have a good life, the secret to living a good life is your view of life. Your perspective. Is what is your outlook on life? Because that's where the secret to a good life lies. And I want to read you a story today that only Jesus has the right to talk about. You must remember what Jesus is, what you're about to listen to and read. They are words that are divine. You, no other man in this world has the right to say them. He is the Son of God. He came down from heaven. And if anyone's going to talk on the afterlife or these spiritual realities, it's Jesus, right? And this Son of God, He died and then He rose again. He plundered the very depths of hell and He rose again victorious. And so Jesus Christ is the only one qualified, unique, and authoritative in his person to say these words. That's the first thing I want to say before I read it. The second thing I want to say is you must understand these words, they are powerful and they are very strong. And the reason for it is he's addressing who Joe touched on last week, a group called the Pharisees. Remember that from last week? I don't know if you remember the Pharisees. And if ever Jesus was preaching to hard hearts, it was this bunch. And Jesus says, Pharisees, the reason why I'm telling you this story is because I want to address your thinking. And I want to push pause here for a moment, and I want to help you a little bit before I dive into the story. What is good preaching? Is it to make you laugh? Oh, well done. <laughs> I said this to the six o'clock service with these young guys. Man, Trevor knows much better at that than what I'll ever be. Is it to make you feel good? No. Although it can be a side effect. Good preaching makes you think. That's the point. Is it challenges the way you see your life, the way you see God, and how you're going to respond to him. That's good preaching. And the mark of a good preacher like Jesus is to get you to consider your life. Where you are with God, where you're going, what the decisions are around your life, where your heart is before Him. He gets you to think about the very state of your life before a living God. And my friends, today what you're about to hear is Jesus addressing these Pharisees about the greatest mistake they were making. Because can you believe it? I just Every time I read this section, it's just before what we're going to read today. You know, when Joe was preaching last week, wasn't it wonderful to hear about a God who's so merciful? Hey, that a God who's so loving, he's so patient. I was sitting in my, my, my prayer time today, and I, I was going through in line with this text just about the Old Testament, and, and God just kind of hit me again with the reality of how great our sin is against him, and how patient and long-suffering and good he is. And I want to say... Do you know, you would think these Pharisees would celebrate a God like that. Do you know what they did to Jesus? Luke records this here. It says they ridiculed him for telling them about the prodigal son. They ridiculed Jesus. And Jesus said, you know what your problem is, Pharisees? And this is very important because it's the danger of every single human being. 
is that you are so focused on what you think men and women praise in this world. In other words, you are so focused on the outward appearance. That's what he says. He says in Luke chapter 16, verse 19 to 31, he says, You are those who justify yourselves before men. In other words, you're only concerned about what other people have to say about you. But don't you know, he says, that God knows the heart. Let me tell you this morning, nobody knows my heart here. Nobody knows your heart. But God does. That's what he's interested in. He's saying, Pharisees, you think that what is so highly esteemed before men is esteemed before God. I want to tell you today, Jesus says to them, the measure of what a man or woman's life is, is not what man sees, but what God sees. And Luke uses the, the strongest possible Greek. He translates Jesus Aramaic into the strongest possible Greek. He says this, don't you know God knows the heart? For what is exalted among men is an abomination, is rejected, has no standing in the sight of God. Whoa! In other words, Pharisees, what you think is so important to mankind gives you no standing before God. You need to think. You need to change the way you view your life. And so let's read together from this wonderful passage that Jesus tells these guys. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Isn't that like our city here? Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Ugh. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you in anguish and besides all this between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us and the rich man said then I beg you father to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment but Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now you can see here, Jesus is using two extremes, right? He uses an uber wealthy man, the rich man. And we know he's rich because he has a gate in front of his house. If you had a gate in front of your house in the Middle East, you were something. I mean, all South Africans would be rich nowadays. Eh? He had fine clothes and purple. Purple shows that he was a very top-notch guy. He had power and status. He was highly educated for that position. He had uh, plenty of comfortable possessions, a good job. He had, was concerned for his health. That's what Jesus is talking about, this fine linen clothing. And he was a foodie. Anybody who loves food, yeah? Hey? 
Man, he was the kind, <laughs> he was the kind of guy who would watch Nigella Lawson and say, cook over there, I want you to make this. And don't you know, whenever there's good food, there's always lots of people present, right? And his dinner table was full. He hosted the best social parties. He had the best dinner parties. Oh, man. And uh, he had the best social connections. And he even had a funeral. He was, it says he was buried. And I can imagine what they said at his funeral. Man, he served the best food. He was such an amazing politician, power, money, wealth, status. Isn't it funny? 2,000 years later, human beings are still the same. You turn on the TV, what are all the shows about? Cooking, home decor, how to be healthy, how to prevent the cellulite and the wrinkles and all these things. Man, it's so funny. With all of our technology, we're still driven by the same desires. And wouldn't you say that this is the man, if someone had to ask you, did you have a good life? Wouldn't you say that this would be the kind of life that the world would say, this is good? Not so? Ah, well, then he uses another contrast here and it's his name is Lazarus and he's in a terrible financial position and my friends some of us here know what it's like to be so poor that you have to go ask family members and friends for cash to bail you out it's humbling if you've never been there it's one of the lowest places to be and here he is begging he had poor health he had these oozing bleeding sores that uh, stray dogs would come and lick and he was too weak to push them away he was even too weak to walk to the rich man's gate he had to be carried there every day he was frequently hungry, and it shows the opulence of this wealthy man that his, his trash cans were overflowing with wonderful leftovers that Lazarus would live off. He had no known family. They certainly looked after him if he did. No employment because of his health issues. We don't even know if he was educated. No social connections. We don't even know if he had a funeral. He just says he died. It was the rich man who got buried. Lazarus was maybe a, was the second course of the dogs. Who knows what happened to him? And if anybody ever looked at Lazarus' life, wouldn't you call him the loser, right? Wouldn't you say, can I be honest with you today, if you had to ask me, Matt, what I fear is that. And uh, I want to point out that uh, Lazarus did have something that the rich man didn't. I hope you pick it up. It's implied in the story is that he loved the Lord. He had a relationship with the God of the Bible. And you know what? Sometimes what's profound in Scripture is what it doesn't say. Did you ever think about this? There is not one moment that Jesus recalls Lazarus in all of his pain and suffering, calling out in bitterness to God or acrimony or vindictiveness or manipulative outcries. This man, in the pit of his suffering, has unwavering faith in God. Isn't that incredible? Wow. He's sitting in front of this gate, entrusting himself to God. Now, the irony of this story is this, is that after all of this contrast, they both die. The rich man in all of his glory and splendor could not be saved from this state of death that comes knocking on every human being's life. They were so unequal in circumstance, yet so equal in death. The second is this. I hope you picked it up is look how different their modes of death are. Lazarus dies, and who comes to welcome him? Angels! It says angels from God is sent to come and welcome Lazarus. And there is, I could just, if it was me, if I was in Lazarus' shoes, I'd be going, oh, look, there's angels. Oh, you're coming for me? For me? 
Here we come. We've been sent from the throne room of heaven to come and take you home. What a welcoming party. A man who was never seen in life, overlooked an eyesore, a man that was never considered as valuable to anybody, in fact, just a, an inconvenience. Oh, in death, he's the welcome guest of the Father of heaven. And the fascinating thing for me is this, is what happens to this rich man. There is the coffin. I could just see, picture the funeral. And they're all saying wonderful things about him. But is there anybody to welcome this rich man in death? What a role reversal, is it not? So famous in life, so infamous in death. And here you have Lazarus taken to Abraham's side, which is uh, another term for paradise or heaven. And how different their destinations. Lazarus gets eternal comfort and reward from God. And where's the rich man? In anguish, in darkness, cut off from any comforts. And we see here, Jesus says, their destinations after death are permanent. Abraham says, and besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross there to us. Isn't it ironic? Praised in life. Forgotten in death. Now, I want to give you some blessings. Remember, Jesus gives everything in Scripture because he loves us. And the warnings of this parable, and there's two warnings in a wisdom I want to point out to you today. The first warning is this, is my friends today, no matter where you are in life, can you hear me on this big point? Is the first warning of this parable is, I want you to look at me is to live your life as though you have no soul. That's the first warning. My friend, today you have a soul. And to neglect your soul is to be in the greatest danger you can possibly be in. Don't you think it's fascinating? Here you have this rich man. He's so attentive to his body to his tummy, to his social connections. And might I point out, these things are not bad. If you've got money here this morning, that's not evil. That's not bad. If you've got lots of social connections or maybe a good job, praise God. Abraham calls them good things. But the way you relate to them is the great danger of this parable because this parable says if you live as though you had no soul, my friend, you're going to be considered to be the greatest fool in all the universe because what really is eternal is what you cannot see. And the danger is this, is that you are so attentive to your nutrition, so attentive to your body through exercise, so attentive to your house, it looks so beautiful, so attentive to your family relationships, to your kids, to your spouse, to all of your wonderful friends, so attentive to your career, but you're not attentive to your soul. Where will that leave you before God? Because Scripture teaches what is unseen is eternal, and what is seen is passing away. Isn't it fascinating? I won't tell you who told me this story, but it stayed with me. You know, as a pastor, death becomes a reality maybe more frequently than most. Do you know the greatest gift God has given you under Jesus is to have a soul? It's where the seat of life is. And when the soul departs, the body dies and returns to its maker, to whom it's accountable. That's the first Warning. The second is this, is to live as though our actions in this life have got no repercussions in the next. 
This, this rich man, he can remember. Abraham says, don't you remember you had good things in your life? And I'll tell you why this rich man's in anguish. is because he realizes what he had been given by God and how heartless and arrogant and selfishly he lived his life. His conscience could remember all that he had done against God. Can I say to you this morning, my friend, why does Scripture say that wisdom begins with the fear of God? It's because you realize that your life does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And He will ask what you have done with this great gift of having a soul. And the wisdom of this is, I want to come back to our original, we're looking at the good night. The wisdom of this is this, is why are all these shakings in the world happening? And it's pointed to in this parable. It is God helping us see what is truly important and to get us to question our thinking. Why are these things happening in the world? My friend, why are you possibly struggling financially and having all of these difficulties come into your life? Because it gets you to face up to what really is important. Because my friends, what is the measure and meaning of life? Is not counted as to when your wealth is gone, and when your health is gone, and when your cultural standing is gone. When those things are taken away, what is left? What is your substance? Those are the questions you must be asking. What is it all for? What have I built my life upon? It is God in His mercy helping us to see what the rich man didn't until it was too late. It's God's mercy and kindness to get us to change the way we see our lives. So then, I want to rapidly close with two more points. Is how then can I live a good life? I hope that's what you're interested in. Remember we said the secret to living a good life is to have the right view and perspective and outlook on life. And my first thing to you today is if you want to live a good life and let it end well, is to live Life in view of eternity. Oh, my friend, the Christ follower knows this world is not called home. Do you know what the Christian calls this life? An assignment. That's it. It's not long before you'll go to be with Jesus. It's not long. Some of us feel it is closer than others, but I want to say to anybody here today, your life and the number of days are only known by God, and they might be shorter than you think. And today I want to say to you, if you want to live with purpose, you know what the Christian faith offers the world? It is the greatest purpose. The whole world's asking, what are we here for? Why are we here? Where is this all going? The Christian faith says, you were made for God, and we'll show you where home is in Christ. Live for then. Live for eternity. That's what brings all this purpose into every relationship, every ounce of money, every ounce of health, everything you've got has meaning in this world because God remembers it in the next. I'll ask you, maybe you in your life going, oh, I'm feeling a bit bored with life. The Christian who grasps eternity is never bored. There's purpose in everything. Every conversation, every action, every thought, every prayer is an understanding that this is going to come to a head when Jesus is going to come again and we're going to go home. We're going to go home, praise God. Let me tell you, the Christian has such a faith to offer this world. Because he realizes, she realizes that time is short 
I know what's on offer is more glorious and more wonderful than anything this rich man could ever have tasted. The second is this. How can I live a good life? Is to live unafraid of death. I'll say it again. Is to live unafraid of death. Only a person who understands your health or understands the loss of a child before then, who understands these things, or the reality of what comes to every life, I want to say to you as a Christ follower, the thing the world fears the most, we are not afraid of because it's only the entrance into a glorious existence in the next. Do you know it's fascinating as a pharmacist who would come and buy the most supplements and vitamins in the store were your 70 to 80 year olds because they were terrified of dying. Can I say to you today, as a Christian, you have got nothing to fear. What a joy. Fearlessness, where the world is gripped. In Hebrews, I read in Hebrews 4 this, this week, the world is in slavery to the fear of death. Sorry, Hebrews 2. But the Christian, like that great Bishop Ryle said in the 19th century, he says, our people die well. We look at death. This world is just the foyer. We're about to enter into the banquet hall of all eternity, into the presence of glory. And we say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in our Lord your labor is not in vain. Praise God. My friend, this is the reality you live in. And you know, to grasp this in your life is to lead to such peace, and it leads to attention. If you start thinking about where you're going, you start realizing you're torn between next life and this. You want to be home with Jesus. You realize you've got these kids to look after, this church to pray for. You've got these people. You can still be of some use, but oh, to go home. That's the person who understands the glory of their salvation is they live with the sight of home in their heart and mind. The third life thing is, so the first is to live with absolute purpose, to live in the light of eternity. The second, to live with absolute fearlessness and peace, not being afraid of death. The third is this, to live this life remembering it is not worth comparing to the next. It will give you such hope. Do you know what this world lacks? Is hope, my friend. Hope. Yeah, when you are inviting people to know Jesus, you are offering out eternal life. God knows in my heart, I am so fearful of men's opinions, but when you realize that what you are doing is you are saying, this is the hope of this world that is dying. It is not the final story. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of a life to come where God is going to make all things new. And I want you there with me. I want you celebrating at my side. I want you coming to say, Jesus Christ is coming. Praise God. I don't want you to be in the other space, cut off from us. I want you worshiping Jesus with me. The person who understands what this salvation holds out is a person characterized by hope. Can I point out to you what 2 Corinthians 4 verse 17 and 18 says? And think about Lazarus. Think, this, he's, think about Lazarus' sufferings and apply this to what Paul is saying. Lazarus had a terrible life this side of the grave. And look what Paul says. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Wow. I had this picture. You know, 
you watch mankind and womankind running around trying to prop up. It's like this world's like a tent. You know those old camping tents that had those, those two big uh, sticks? What do you call them? Help me out here. What do you call those big tent poles? That, yeah, if they fall on you, they could cause some serious damage. Remember? And it's like those old army tents. And they're hammered in one peg here and one peg. And we're all rushing around. And this tent is like all <laughs> falling over. That's the picture of this world. It's a tent that's passing away. Oh, but for the Christian, next door is Buckingham Palace. I ask you, where do you want to store your stuff? In this tent that might impale you if it falls down? Or when you look at what is coming, is you're heading for palatial glory. Live for that. These light and momentary afflictions. Oh, my friend, but I hope you're catching my mind, my drift. My last point is this. is Notice I'm saying at each point, it's the Christ follower. It's the Christ follower. I know I'm preaching for a long time. Just bear with me for a little bit more. Almost there, right? My friend, my final conclusion is this. The good life is found in Jesus alone. Do you know Jesus? You see, the great trouble with this guy, the rich man, he says to Abraham, send somebody, I've got five brothers that are still alive, and tell them about the reality of Hades, this reality of an afterlife, the reality of what's at stake if they reject Christ, if they reject this glorious God of the Bible. And Abraham says, well, they have Moses and the prophets, they've got the Old Testament, let them listen to the Old Testament. This rich man says, no, if you send Lazarus back from the dead, he, this guy doesn't even click that his status has changed in Hades. He, can still, he, he thinks he can still order Lazarus around. He says, if someone comes back from the dead, they'll believe somebody comes back from the dead. And Abram says, no, my friend. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will, will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. What is he saying? He's saying yeah, that you will not be saved by phenomenon. If you do not believe the word of God, my friend, there is no salvation for you. And he says, if you don't believe this Old Testament, you cannot become a Christ follower. You cannot become somebody who has this hope and peace and this eternal security. This is for somebody who believes in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And I want to point out to you today, if you want to become a follower of Jesus, what must you believe that the Old Testament says? The first is this, is that you were made by God. No one else. You're not here by accident. You were made by God, for God. This God of glory made you. You belong to him. You're accountable to him. And the second is this, is that the source of all of your problems, my friend, all of mankind's problems, it's not because of your genetics. It's not because of your exterior circumstances. It's because of this thing called sin. It was devastating. It, it ripped our relationship apart with God, and it has caused endless trouble. And it has caused righteous judgment of God upon mankind and corrupted us in all of our ways. The trouble with the world is sin, my friend. You must believe that. And the third is this, is that even man left to himself could not rescue himself. They got so wicked that God had to send a flood. Even man under perfect religion called the law of Moses with all the right things that we have to do and not do and tick and do. We couldn't keep that. We couldn't keep the standard even of perfect religion under the threat of fear and punishment. Man could not save himself. Oh, and the next thing you see in your Old Testament is because of this, there's blood everywhere. Blood. Animal after animal being slaughtered as symbolic of something needing to die in our place. 
in order to try and get us closer to God. But we see that all of these sacrifices were imperfect. They were unable so that the Old Testament says there's not one person righteous, not even one. No one truly seeks after God. And that there was going to come a day when God's perfect Passover lamb was going to come and ransom the world from its sin. And here this beautiful part in this text is right before this parable. Jesus says in Luke chapter 16 verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Here you have John the Baptist, the great finale of the Old Testament, this culmination of all of the witness of these hundreds of years of God's work in the world. And John the Baptist says he's here. When he sees Jesus, he says, behold the lamb that comes to take away the sin of the world. The Savior is here. The deliverer is here. He's come. He's come. And all of this testimony points to the Son of God that says, this anointed Messiah, I am the way. I am the truth. No man comes to the Father but through me. And he comes to a th- not for a throne in this world, but a bloody cross. And he spills his blood for the forgiveness of our sin. And the last thing, my friend, today that you must see is that the Old Testament tells us that Passover lamb in Egypt was available to anybody. Any Egyptian could have come under that blood. Any Jewish person could have come under that blood. Any foreign national could have come under that blood. Whoever believed God that says, if you hide under the blood of the Passover lamb, judgment will pass over you. My friend, Christ's blood is available to the world, but is effective for only those who will come under it. Where do you stand with Jesus this morning? Can you say, I have sheltered under his blood? He is the payment for my sin. In Christ alone, my hope is found. You see, my friends, at the end of the day, it all comes down to where do you stand with Jesus? Don't forget Joe's sermon last week. We serve a merciful God. But it addresses our pride. It addresses our stubbornness. Is the start to a good life is peace with God. And that was brought with the death of his very son. And it's available to you, but you've got to come. You've got to come. You've got to shelter under that blood and say, when you stand before God in heaven, and you will, and he asks you, why should I let you in? You say, because Christ has died for me. Why is God shaking the world at this time? It's so that he might display the unshakable riches of Christ. Let's pray. Father, you are here by the Spirit. Thank you for this mighty salvation. What a wonder to have the privilege of calling you Father because of the great gift of your Son. Oh Lord, we are humbled. We are humbled. So undeserving. 
Lord, the picture of Old Testament Israel is so much like ourselves. Stubborn, stiff-necked, willful, so self-assured. Oh, but Lord, this morning we gaze upon the wisdom and beauty of God and the great salvation that you offer out in Christ. And I pray this morning, if there's anybody here who has not yet seen, but perhaps seen for the first time, that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus, I pray that it runs you this morning. We don't have to buy it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to be fixed up in order to receive it. It's on offer today. Will you come and hide under the blood of Jesus? And I want to help you talk to him. I just, would you say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm running to you today. I'm sheltering under your blood. I'm asking you for mercy. Would you say that to him? For those who've prayed this and for those that are here this morning that know Christ, Lord, I pray that the wonder of going home would grip our hearts. Some of us have health problems. Some of us have achy bodies. Lord, some of us have difficult family relationships that make it hard to love. Some of us are in financial difficulty and some of us are battling with unforgiveness, Lord, and bitterness. Lord, some of us are in, 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 in the depth, God, of great struggle. I pray that, Lord we'd see that these are light and momentary afflictions. Not worth to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I pray that, Lord, our family relationships, our friendships, our colleagues, Lord, would take on an eternal perspective that we were born for more than this life. Are we going home? Help us to live ready, we pray. That's the good life. Amen.